Why are you smoking? I don't know. Contented sometimes. Can I one? You know, you're the only person in the world who can smoke judgmentally. <laughs> I know what you're going through. When your father died, I was a wreck. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't ready to be alone. I didn't even know how to be alone. I did some pretty insane things just to get by. Insane even for me, but I'll spare you the details. Doesn't sound like you. Well, I could tell you if you prefer. <laughs> What's your point, Mom? That everything's just gonna get better eventually? No one gets to tell you how to grieve, Alice. You're on this journey by yourself. Only you know where it's gonna take you. If you need to do something crazy to get through it, do something crazy, okay? Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. After what feels like the longest hiatus ever, but I think was actually the shortest one, season five is finally here. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And we're here today to talk about episode 501, Do Something Crazy, with the man who wrote the episode, Mr. Henry Alonzo Myers. Henry, thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. So, before we get too far into the episode itself, Henry, talk to me about how you approach a season like this following on such a huge loss. How do you answer the question, where do we go from here? The, you know, the, 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 the operating philosophy of the magicians has always been uh, uh, everything gets kind of completely, we just, we just kind of brush everything off the table at the end of the season and every new season we restart and we restart it. Uh, this is the episode of the season where we kind of, we carried over such a, like a very clear emotional message. We knew what every character was going to be going through mm. uh, because, you know, the, the death of Quentin was such a big overarching thing and it, and it affected everybody. So, um, you know, we knew that that was the kind of, uh, at least as the, as the season started, we knew that would be the kind of emotional everybody and about, about how, how they're going to live with this loss. Um, you know, and so we, we just kind of started thinking about it that way. Um, you know, we also had left ourselves in a kind of a crazy plot place, which is pretty traditional for us. Per usual, we... We, we leave it without knowing how we're going to get out of it because the, the feeling is if we don't know, then you don't know. Um, and then the first few weeks in the writer's room are usually uh, uh, these intense, fruitful discussions, both about plot, because we're trying to figure out where we're going to go from here, and about emotion, because we're trying to work through like what the characters are working through. Can you take us into some of those discussions a little bit? Just like tell us what that looks like? Well, I, I remember at the time thinking that this was the, you know, in, in a weird way, the magician's room became like the, the best place to be if you were trying to deal with the loss of Quentin, because that is all we were thinking about. Uh, and we were kind of thinking about it from every single perspective. Um, and, you know, we, we knew that some characters were closer to him and some characters were not. Uh, you know, we had kind of had more time to internalize it, but, you know, some people we wanted to see, I mean, we knew Alice would take it especially hard and we knew that, uh, you know, 
Katie, who was less close with Quentin, it would be kind of glancing. And there was one of the uh, a scene we ultimately had to cut for time where she sees uh, Julia. Julia also we knew was going to have the absolute hardest time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, the other thing that we were, you know, trying to do was, uh, you know, it's it's pretty uh, it's it's normal for a season of the magicians to try to figure out what's going on with magic. Like mm-hmm. magic is kind of different at the beginning of every season, um, and it's usually as a result of what has happened. Um, and so a lot of the discussions we have are about trying to figure out how to dovetail the kind of thematic ideas that we're talking about with magic and the emotional ideas that we're trying to deal with, with people. Um, and, you know, uh, usually at the beginning of every season, we like, I, I, I put, I put like a, I just took a, took a photo of this. So I want to remind myself of what it was. I, I put a, a couple of cards on the board as we talk. Mm. Um, and usually like uh, the, it's like a, I put up three cards with a little framework to think about how we're going to discuss every story. And one was at the beginning was how does every story reflect grief over Quentin's death? Um, how does the state of magic change every story? Uh, and how does magic speak to a real human emotion or experience um, and that we kind of try to put the the we try to put the storylines through that lens every one of them um, and the other thing we do is is uh, you know I, I don't know if I've talked about this before but I do a, a, a with the writers a character a big character board mm-hmm. um, we, we put up all the different characters on one wall uh, and we have a, we have a, across the top of the of the wall we have all of the episode numbers and we just it's like a it's like a emotional check-in board, like where they are in each scene, in each episode and what they're dealing with. And so we sort of just, we do that to start. Um, and then as we're kind of discussing the season in broad strokes, which is what we do for the first few weeks, um, we talk about big uh, signposts mm. that we're going to hit. Um, and we kind of try to place them roughly where we think they're going to fall in the season with regard to each of the characters so that we know kind of what their journeys are going to be. And, you know, we try not to, try not to turn the screws too tightly because, you know, we want to leave it a little bit loose. So there's some room for discovery because there's things that end up just happening as you're writing that sometimes end up being, you know, the, the big turn of right. the season that you didn't expect. Uh, and then there's things that, you know, you've been planning, there's big plot stuff that we usually are planning from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, and, and that's a lot of what we spend the early parts of the season trying to work out. Hmm. Going into the season, I think a lot of people had questions about how you'd managed to keep the gang together with Quentin gone since he was the glue. But in this episode, at least, at least, they aren't together. What was the thinking behind that choice? Part of it was just a, a plot reality because some of the characters are technically dead uh, <laughs> and died, you know, like 300 years ago. And, uh, and that's a major plot problem that we were having to deal with. How do we get them? And the other ones are stuck in Fillory and, and, you know, uh, uh, we kind of knew that some of them would have their own personal stories, um, that they would be dealing with, um, you know, uh, uh, like, like Alice, who we sort of thought was what, what was the least likely place to see her. And, you know, the, the answer that we came up with was, uh, you know, living with her mom, who <laughs> seems like the, the least helpful I wondered person. about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, it was more like a, what is the, this is how bad it is for her. Yeah. She's so bad that she, that, that she doesn't know where else to go. Um, and then the, the thing I am 
I, I love writing the mom character. Right? She's one of my favorites. And, and, um, Judith Hogue is amazing. Judith Hogue is amazing. And, uh, and was a, a, is always, as always a delight to work with. The thing I was, um, going for with this was, uh, that, you know, here is this person who you just expect kind of a general level of dismissiveness and negativity from throughout. Um, and then she surprises you at the very end by having a weirdly understanding perspective on what Alice is going through because she's directly gone through that. She went through that in the earlier season. You know, I don't know that she gives her good advice, <laughs> but she gives her very sympathetic advice. She gives her advice that shows that she really does understand where Alice's heart is at. So we we knew that there would be a thematic connection with everyone while they were all in different places, meaning that 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 all of them are dealing with Quentin's loss and they're dealing with it in their own different ways. Like Margot is angry. Uh, Elliot is kind of in denial. Um, you know, uh, uh, Alice is a, just a, a kind of a, a wreck. Uh, Julia is a wreck who is trying to find her way forward. You know, she's someone who, uh, uh, at the end of last season, she inherited this thing and it's like, she didn't, it, it, she got her powers back. It wasn't how she wanted it. It wasn't the way, you know, it wasn't, it was the thing she wanted and in the absolute worst way that, that it could possibly happen. But then she sort of started to see it as a gift and ask herself, well, what can she do with this gift that was, that is, is uh, to honor the cost of it, uh, to honor the fact that her friend, you know, effectively died to give it to her. Um, and then, Along the way, uh, as she's trying to figure out what to do with it, Julia ends up becoming the one who is kind of carrying the torch for the central quest of the season. Mm. Uh, she's the one who is searching for uh, um, a thing to do. And it's funny because there there was a, another scene that got like the, the, the I mentioned the scene with Katie where Katie uh, um, says to Julia, I forgot if I said this, uh, you know, like even even I had a hard time moving on without Q because then mm. I didn't know him well, but like it, and it, and it affected her. They had the, you know, in some ways the hardest time. And, you know, there we, I had written a scene that we ended up cutting also for time where she tries to, she sort of speaks to Quentin. She like goes up to the roof and kind of speaks to him um, and then, uh, and, and gets no response. And in a weird way, it becomes the, uh, the, um, uh, it's almost like that's the thing that calls, uh, Sir Effingham uh, to to her house um, is this desire to you know to uh, to to uh, reach into her past and make meaning from from her loss, um, all of which is a big theme that's going to kind of run that runs you know these are, these are the themes that we're playing with this season um, and uh, you know and, and not that the entire season is about, is about grief. But it is a thing that we do deal with a lot, and I I would say that you know the the, the also the effort was to try to make a show that is felt like the magicians, and you know which means that it's sad sometimes, but also funny and also uh, crazy and also had some insane sort of plot moves, um, you know. But there's also some gut punches too um, that that they're kind of in there. You know, Margot who is is deeply angry. Um, you know, that's kind of her, that's a lot of the ways that she deals with things. You know, the, the scene I really wanted was the scene where she, um, you know, the scene at the end where, um, she sees Josh's ghost and it's mm. like the moment you see, her, you see her breakdown. 
And uh, this, this is a scene a bunch of people kept trying to cut, and I didn't want them to cut. So it ended up in the episode. So. Well, I'm glad you won. I feel like, you know, Josh is, in a lot of ways, like, he is comic relief in various places. And so it's it's always nice to get to see Trevor do something a little bit different. And he's so arresting in that scene. Oh, like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's really upsetting to watch him because he is clearly so genuinely upset. It was uh, also the, you know, we presented their deaths in a way that could be seen almost as silly. And I, I just wanted a scene where she reckoned with the reality of what had happened uh, while still dangling the possibility that there's going to be like a way to get them back. So, the, you know, th- that was one of those like you, uh, I mean, I'm very glad we shot it because it, 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 I think the acting in the scene is great. And the thing that we wanted in that moment was the, the deep emotion of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that yeah. like, that's what, you know, that, that in some ways, you, you know, Margot is, uh, going through the episode driving, determined to get things back, kind of angry at Elliot for being in denial. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this is like builds to this moment where she's, uh, she has all of her feels in one big scene. There was something you, you mentioned earlier about the, the scene that you cut with Katie talking about, how she, you know, she wasn't as close to Quentin, but it still affected her. And I think like mm-hmm. that really struck me. It was just for, it was just for, just for time, just for time. Sure. That was all. Sure. But that really struck me in part because like, I, uh, you may not know this about me, but, um, I went through a lot of really big losses early on in my life. Um, my best friend died in a plane crash when I was 12. And then a couple of years later, oh another childhood friend was murdered in a national case. So that was kind of like a big thing in my childhood. Um, But the, I think I tend to react in a lot of ways like Elliot, like the sort of denial um, of a lot of that, Um, especially as an adult, right? It's just very hard to go into those places and to, to make anything of something that hit you when you were so young. But I've, dealt with losses of people who I don't have that kind of relationship with at all. People who Mm -hmm. I, you know, was more of an acquaintance with, um, which I think is sort of like the Katie Quentin thing. And sometimes they hit you harder. And I think part of that is because those really big losses can be so hard to contend with that like when someone who, maybe you weren't as close to dies. Like that's a loss that you can let in and suddenly all these other things come along with it. Right. It's uh, I mean, the big ones are so destabilizing that you, that you almost can't let them in at all sometimes. And then the, the, the little ones can kind of sneak up on you. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm so sorry to hear about that. That's, that's really, uh, that's a lot to carry. It's life. I mean, it also, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I, that's, uh, that's, uh, unfortunately been my, the, the end of the year for me, I've, I've, uh, we just lost a old friend of mine. Um, oh, and so, so I'm, I, 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 thanks. It's, it's been a, a you know, uh, I mean, the, these are the real human waters that we're swimming in. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not, uh, this is not, this is not an easy thing to talk about or to make, you know, essentially entertainment out of, but like, that's what is kind of has drawn all of us on the magicians to the subject matter is that we're not, 
looking for an easy answer. We're not looking to make something that's just purely fun. We're looking to make something about real human emotions. Um, and these are all emotions that we have felt. Um, and, you know, we all kind of have a bullshit detector about it. And we know that I think there's, there's a, there's a kind of, uh, sometimes entertainment will talk about these things in a way that is sort of slight. Um, and I think all of us felt like that, 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 the, you know, the, the truth is that there's no, there's no easy way through it except to go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little bit what we were trying to explore through this. And I, that's, you know, that's tough cause it's not always, you know, you're doing entertainment and it's, and, and it, and it's not always easy to watch. Um, and so the challenge for us in doing the show is trying to find something that is, uh, that feels real to us, um, while also, uh, you know, being the magicians, which mm-hmm. has all of the, the grow a clit. <laughs> grow a clit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> those Margot lines are my, I, those come to me. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've written something like that. For <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got to give a uh, uh, hail credit because he came up with a, a, a bitch I would if I could. <laughs> so, uh, and That's we, good. Uh, we liked it so much. We kept it in the, kept it in the show. So, well, before I take a hard turn into uh, something less serious, I just want to give Danny an opportunity if she had anything that she wanted to add. I mean, it's hard. Like, Grief is, it's hard to deal with. Like, I've recently, like, lost a decent amount of family members over the last couple of years. Um, and, like, you know, like, one of our family dogs, which, you know, some people think that's ridiculous, but that so was really the, hard. Those are the ones that kind of hit you. I, I remember mm-hmm. losing, I lost a cat a couple of years ago and I was just thinking, oh, it's, you know, just a silly cat. And then I found myself just totally devastated by it. And sometimes that's like the, it's, you can't control what your body allows you to feel grief about. And that's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's been hard. And we actually had a really good discussion um, when we did the panel in Seattle recently Especially with Ryan. Ryan was really cool. Yeah, so Henry, <laughs> we had a a trained therapist on the uh, on the panel with us and they were somebody who sort of specialized in kind of intersectional identity and grief. Um I'll let Danny wow. continue. I just wanted to give you some context. Yeah. They were really like awesome and kind of you know, it made us feel a little bit better about the whole thing, like how everyone had very different reactions to mm-hmm. to Quentin dying. Um, I, I feel like we had a good good panel. Like That's great. it went really well. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things that I realized in the moment when we were up there that has kind of stuck with me and helped me a lot is I, I think we're inclined to like look at what happens in fandoms when something divisive happens and and see that as uh, like a divisive death happens specifically and see that as unique to fandoms but like when you're going through grief when you're grieving someone who you've lost so many fights break out in like families and among friends just 
about the different ways that people do grieve. And so for me, like mm-hmm. making that connection that this is just kind of how people grieve in general was very helpful. Well, that's uh, that, that sounds great that you guys were able to do that. Um, and Danny, I'm really sorry for all your recent losses. Um, it's okay. Thank you. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's, this it's, it's not an easy subject, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing to try to make, I hate to use the word, but uh, to try to make art out of, cause it's not always, mm. uh, you, you know, it's uncomfortable and people have difficult, different reactions to it. Uh, um, and all of them are, you know, all of them are okay with me. I, I mean, a lot of what we were doing this season is trying to show everyone experience everyone dealing with the grief in a different way. Mm. Um, and that is what you're going to see over the next few episodes as well. <laughs> uh, as well as some other crazy, insane stuff. Like I, 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 I want to reiterate that the, I, I do know is very fun this year. Um, yes. uh, and it's not fun at the expense of the grief. It's fun uh, as a companion to, mm. because, you know, you know the, you, when something bad happens, something funny happens, something crazy happens in life, you don't, they all happen in quick succession. You don't yeah. have a, a control. Sometimes you're laughing inappropriately. Sometimes you're not. Mm-hmm. There was a moment in, in season three, I want to say, when it was in the Be the Penny episode where Quentin, uh, you know, uh, starts Laughs. laughing inappropriately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then he kind of starts crying too. Yeah, he's, he's like, and he can't help it. <laughs> and I, I feel like that I, it was one of my favorite moments ever. Uh, David reads an episode and it just, cause it felt very real, yeah. you know? Well, so um, on that note, hard left turn into something possibly a little more <laughs> silly. Um, I wanted to do something. We've never done this before. Like Danny and I have talked about the title cards, but we've never asked any of you about the title cards. Um, and since <laughs> we have a new title card this season, um, <laughs> I just wanted to sort of go through the elements that I spotted. And um, right now, the like main things I saw were the overgrown vein- vines on the door, the hedgewitch tattoos, Margot's ice axes, an off-kilter graffitied library sign, a pocket watch, which I'm guessing has something timey-wimey going on about it, um, a kraken in the middle of everything wrapping its tentacles around the moon, and my personal favorite as a book fan, two whales. So without explaining, <laughs> without explaining what any of those things mean, Henry, which element excites you most about this season? Wow. Yeah, because everything you've mentioned is like a spoiler. Um, <laughs> they I mean, always I'll, are. I'll They're all, all Easter eggs. Uh, you know, the, the, the moon stuff is probably my favorite thing in the season, and I won't say anything about what that means. Um, <laughs> you know, I, am, I am delighted about the whales. Um, I am delighted about uh, pretty much all of them. I mean, a lot of things that we try to talk about when we were coming up with the title card stuff is what is is about trying to explore what magic is like this season. Uh, you know how that how that's different. Like last season, it was really really clean. You know, because magic is regulated, and this one is like magic is overgrown and crazy, and mm-hmm. we're dealing with these sort of like surges and the fact that there's too much of it. And uh, and all those other elements are things that I really can't <laughs> tell you without spoiling it. Um, but I will say that a lot of those will culminate in uh, a couple of my favorite favorite episodes that we've ever done this season, like of of all the five seasons. So 
I'm super excited for you to watch them and happy to talk to you afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) We'll hold you to that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All righty. Out of curiosity, how do these title cards get made? Do you and John and Sarah have any input in them? Yeah, well, yeah, no, we're, this is, yes. <laughs> they, they, are, they put in the things that we ask them to put in. Okay. Uh, I want to say that this season, that, you know, we have a, like, a larger discussion about in the, in the room about what the, the Easter eggs that we want to put in. And uh, uh, David Reed kind of ran point making sure that it kind of looked the way that we wanted them to. And there's no uh, bears? Like a, like, yeah, right. Uh, well, they're, 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 it's not about personal preference. It's about what's, uh, <laughs> uh, what's in the season. There will be bears, you know, throughout the season, but, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> there are no bears on the card, you know? So, so he was, he was really the taskmaster and kind of getting it, uh, getting it into shape. Uh, but you know, a lot of it's about like, we're trying to figure out what the season's going to be. We're trying to find some funny, strange, weird, like unexpected elements that would, you know, that that you can find in there if you look. I mean, we've had foxes, we've had bees, we've had, you know, there's a million keys in there periodically. That, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what they've had in past seasons because it's been it's always it's always been different. Uh, it, but yes, I think it's like the busiest title card that we've had. Mm, uh, I mean, part part of that is because there's too much magic. <laughs> that would make sense. Yeah, it's a it's a. a a lot of stuff happens this season. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's time to move on to the episode. We'll start off with the recap. Take it away, Clara. All right. In the aftermath of Quentin's death, his friends struggled to move on, each trying to find a purpose now that he's gone. For Julia, that means figuring out what's causing the surges. For Penny, it's teaching a new crop of travelers how to control their powers. For Katie and Pete, it's helping the hedges and undoing the damage wrought by the library. But some of our magicians are lost. Elliot and Margot are somewhat literally lost, thrust 300 years into Fillory's future, trying to figure out what happened to their friends and who this mysterious dark king is and uh, who has taken over. Alice is lost a little more metaphorically. She's moved into her mother's house, where she spends her days nearly catatonic with grief over Quentin. A conversation with her mother gives the episode its title. She tells Alice, if you need to do something crazy to get through it, do something crazy. Alice obliges. When the episode ends, we see that she is the one who has stolen all the living clay from Break Bills, something Fogg alludes to early in the episode, which she appears to be using to try to create a golem of Quentin. So, Danny, what did you think of this episode? I think it's a really good first episode back. Like, it's just kind of a small little snapshot of how everyone is doing and coping. Um, I really liked it, and I liked seeing all the different emotional things. Like, I feel like if I were grieving someone that I had been dating, I would probably be just like Alice in that situation. <laughs> um, sleeping in all day, not getting out of bed, not looking great. But of course, <laughs> Olivia always looks great regardless. <laughs> but <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack in this episode, but what made it for me was the subtle ways that the relationships between some of the characters are starting to change. So Mm. when I saw Alice and her mother interacting, that was big because they've always had such a a difficult relationship. There's so much animosity between them. And Alice's mom is still Alice's mom, but she actually does know what her daughter is going through. And there's a caring there, even if it's a bit unorthodox. Like one of the things (laughs) I really loved the most was 
was that sort of beginning scene where she tells Alice it's an emergency and it's just this plant contest that she wants to win. But it's hard to look at that and not think like she's doing this to try to help Allie, help Alice get out of her shell um, in just, and sort of using... Yeah, yeah. And like using Alice's perception of her as this like selfish person who blows everything out of proportion to do that. So yeah, tell us about that, Henry. I mean, you know, she's a she's a narcissist and she's uh, you know, uh, uh, is hypercritical uh of her daughter, but you know, everything is said uh with love. It's it's just sometimes a backhanded compliment or a you know a, a, a something kind of she can't help but be a little bit cruel like when she's saying that you know i need you to just put on whatever fits and uh mm-hmm. you know, it's, your, it's your choice if you want to let yourself go um you know and a lot of that was is to just because she's a uh, i mean that's who she is as a person and i mm-hmm. you can't like she can't be this is not a, she, she's not a sweet person, um, mm. but she's a genuine person. And I think deep in her core, she actually does love her daughter and everything she does is actually, I think in her mind to help her, um, to try to get her through this difficult period. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and also part of it is just to, is informed by the idea that like, I, I knew that she would have this moment of connection at the very end and I didn't want you to expect it. Uh, mm. cause you are assuming that she's going to, continue to say sort of, you know, passive aggressive jabs, but I, but everything that she does comes from a place of love in a weird way. And that's the thing I was always reminding myself of writing those scenes was that like the mom loves her. She loves in her own way. This is how she expresses love. She's not always like helpful that way. Uh, and, uh, but for her, this is love. So everything she says as awful as it might be has to come from her heart. Mm. So like that, that was the, that was kind of the, that was the test pass when I was working on it. <laughs> also, I just thought that that was a, they're a, uh, they're like an unusual pair. <laughs> so I, I liked, uh, I like one of the things that is fun about writing a season opener is it's like, you're kind of picking up the story in the middle of it. Um, everyone's, you know, we don't explain how she got there, but we kind of know that like after Quentin's death that she just broke down um, and didn't have a place to go. And so that's where she ended up. Uh, each one of them kind of is, uh, you know, has kind of been dealing with it in their own way. Um, mm. So, you know, Julia in a lot of ways is also similar, but she has kind of like dealt with it by not dealing with it. She's dealt with it by like kind of throwing herself into a relationship. Um, and maybe it's not the, you know, it, it, it's a, I'm sure you've had friends who like have dealt with a tragedy and maybe they, and they're in this relationship that it was easier just to stay in it because it was comfortable and comforting. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? And so that, that's kind of where we find them at the beginning of the season. Uh, it's not, you know, that in some ways that they haven't dealt with a lot of the stuff that led to them being together. Uh, but it was a, it was a, it was a comfort to both of them. Well, and you can only take so much loss at once, right? So like, Breakups are hard. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and I'm not saying that they're that they're that they have a doomed relationship. Just that, like, they're not <laughs> facing. I think they're not facing the truth of where they of where they came from. Um, it'll end a big way. We uh, talked earlier about how everyone else is scattered 
Um, but by the end of this episode, we're starting to see the ways that people are coming together. Like when Julia goes to visit Alice, even though they've never really been friends before, shed some light on that for us. Um, I mean, they have this big, big thing in common, um, you know, that they, 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 they both share this massive loss and like, that's the, you know, this is, this is, this is the way that, uh, kind of Quentin, Quentin kind of carries through all the other characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that he, and, you know, and even in death, he kind of unites them and that they're both feeling, uh, the pain of, of, uh, of missing him, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and, and in some ways, you know, uh, I mean, it's as simple as that's what drives them together. Um, Julia in this episode is um, contemplating a thing, uh, which is a seance, and it's something that Alice has done research uh, on. Um, you know, I want to say in an earlier draft we had a uh, we had talked about that her um, uh, it was something that her father had oh, researched. Wow. Um, you know, in 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 trying to deal with his own loss of his daughter because he thought his daughter had died. <laughs> Um, and then, and then in fact, uh, and then we, we ended up simplifying it, uh, for various reasons. I mean, this is for, for an episode that, uh, you know, when you write a premiere, you got to kind of tag everybody in a lot of ways. And you're, you're also trying to kind of get the stories going. Um, uh, but you know, it's one of these, uh, you'd be surprised that this is, this is actually a long episode, <laughs> um, you know, cause you have a lot of, you have a lot of story ground to cover, uh, mm-hmm. try to get everything moving. Um, so that's just one of the, one of the little details that ran by the wayside, but we like, I like the idea that, that, you know, the dad lost his daughter, tried to figure out how to face his daughter, uh, realized that this was, uh, you know, researched the idea of seances and then discovered that it was, um, it was either, um, energetically difficult, impossible, or, or, uh, you know, um, uh, there was some dark magic involved in it. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the idea being that, uh, you know, Alice tells her this is a dead end, uh, only to discover kind of at the very end that, you know, Alice is perhaps planning her own bit of bad magic to, to deal with her grief, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we get into uh, in episode two. <laughs> uh. So the, the other coming together of sorts um, is one that Danny predicted when she saw the trailer, which is uh, when Fogg goes to Penny to convince him to teach the new crop of travelers at Breakbills. So oh. Dan- <laughs> I'm going to ask Danny first, like, what do you think of it now that you've seen it on the screen? I mean, I kind of figured it would happen, and I just love Penny, the reluctant professor. Like, <laughs> it's, just, like it's just not something he would want to do. He's very, like solo person um but I, I had a feeling like something like this would happen like we were talking about when we were talking about the trailer mm-hmm. um with spooky about how like it reminded me a lot of the legend of Korra, which is the avatar sequel right. and so when harmonic convergence happens in that she's winking you can't see that on the podcast but she's winking <laughs> Uh, basically all of these people who didn't know how to bend, um, the elements could now do it. And so there's a bunch of new airbenders, which there was only one left, uh, now that all these people have the bending ability. So one of Aang's kids, like, has to teach everyone how to airbend, and it's pretty hilarious. (laughs) 
Well, and I think it's really interesting that it's that it's Penny who becomes the teacher because in the books, Quentin ends up back at Bright Bills as a professor, mm-hmm. and he goes through this similar kind of adjustment and realizing that like being good at magic and being a good teacher are really different things. And there's a it lot of ways. Long. What was that? His career as a professor doesn't last long. No, it doesn't. But I mean, there's, <laughs> there's also I think it's interesting to me because there's a lot of ways which. Um, in both the books and the show, but I think especially in the books, Quentin and Penny are two sides of the, uh, oh God, of the same coin. <laughs> Can't believe I actually wrote that. <laughs> um, but it, it, yeah, it does seem like you're really leaning that, leaning into that in the show. And um, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. I, I just think it's, I find it so interesting that like Penny is of course the one who ends up taking that role. And of course it makes sense because like Penny is the person who has the most growing to do in that way like like Danny said right like he's such a loner and it forces him to be dependable for other people I mean part of that's just wanting to put uh, the character who would have the hardest time with a thing into the thing <laughs> um, and yeah that that is a um, a thing we continue to explore uh, as the season goes forward um, is, is what I will say about it. So he's not quitting halfway through the semester, is what you're telling us. I, uh, I, I mean, no. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, talk talk about that a little more about like what what are the things that you saw Penny struggling with as he as he makes well, another history? another part of it was like you know we're always trying to make sure how, to find ways to keep Brave Bills involved in the show. Um, we also were trying to uh, find a way to uh, uh, show our characters' growth uh, yeah. a, a, as people. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of those things is, to, is the moment where you realize that you're, you have a mastery of a thing. Um, he seemed like a natural mm. one because he has such this specific, unusual discipline, um, one which we have, you know, explained before. There are just very few people who can do it. Uh, and the mm-hmm. idea being, you know, that, that, that with the too much magic – um, some people who would have the proclivity, you know, uh, toward traveling would be revealed who would not have been revealed otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like he, he seemed like a natural person to be like, well, you may not have graduated yet, but you do have this unique specific expertise that we do not have uh, in other capacities. So, uh, like, you're the guy we need uh, for this particular, uh, you know, adjunct course. So, you know, uh, part of it was that part of it was like trying to Penny, I feel like is, is great when he's like back on his heels. He's great when he's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, um, doing something difficult or something that he doesn't want to, uh, (laughs) there's a, there's a particular look that, uh, Arjun does, uh, when something like incredibly annoying happens that, uh, he, he gives a few times a season, which I'm. (laughs) Always, always delighted by, um, and you know, part of that is just, is just the more you have to make uh, Penny deal with uh, people that he perceives as stupid, uh, <laughs> the the better his story is usually. One thing Claire and I were talking about is how in the new comic books there are that are coming out, there's mm-hmm. this bleeding over between the world of the Hedges and the world of Break Bill's educated elite magicians. Mm-hmm. Fog kind of alludes to it with his comment about how more people are passing the test now, that there's so much more magic out there. Can you <laughs> Dobby. tell us more about that? Like, uh, it kind of feels like a metaphor. I mean, 
I haven't read the the comics, so I, oh, uh, I've read okay. the I read I read Alice's story, um, which I quite enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's really great, um, but I have not read the new comics. Um, so and also we, I mean we don't we don't know. Uh, um, I don't know. It's it's uh, Lila Searches. Mm-hmm. If I remember yeah. her name right, I don't I don't know her though. I think her writing is great. Really enjoy the the comics. Um, and you know we're producing these totally separately. And we also, yeah, of course. all of these stories have been written a long time ago. Um, in the show, I mean, really it was just a function of like, w- one of the things that we ask at the beginning of every season is how is magic different? And how would that change the way that we behave? Uh, how would that change the way that our magicians behave? And the, one of the ideas that, that I really like that we kind of move forward with is that, um, you know, as, as there is more magic, so there are more magicians, um, and that would affect both the uh, the magical world of breakbills, and it would affect the the world of the hedges. Um, the the thing that we tried to carry through is that it's, things are still not fair for the hedges, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the scene that I've yeah. <laughs> enjoyed a lot, you know, we find that that the, the you know they're still dealing with the residual stuff left over from the library having. Um, taken a lot of power away from them. Um, you know, the, we, we showed a guy with a reads mark, uh, uh, who wanted so badly to get rid of it that he blew his own arm off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, a that was literally like, we were trying to figure out a dramatic scene that was also kind of funny that would show how desperate hedges are. Uh, and the, the moment that I thought was the, was the best way to describe it is the guy shows up holding his own arm and he says, it's Katie here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's you know um, I, I think one of the things that really struck me and it's kind of like what you said right like it's still unfair for the hedges but you're I mean in some ways the fact that more people are being led into break bills now that there's more magic kind of amplifies that right like if these people are good enough when there's a little more supply why weren't they good enough before it doesn't seem like it's really about them Partly it's about uh, there's an inherent prejudice that break bills against yeah. uh, against uh, people who learn stuff kind of on the street. There's also uh, – <clears throat> one of the things I always loved about the books was that there was a kind of deep fundamental unfairness to the whole thing that like mm-hmm. some people got it, some people didn't. And even when you know you could – there were – he talks about how I mean Lev would talk about how there are people who uh, do all the things right, and somehow for some reason they still don't have the ability. Like magic just doesn't come to them, um, and you know who knows why. Um, and that uh, uh, that you know in the case of Julia, you know she was uh, maybe it's because she was non neurotypical, and uh, you know the 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 tests ruled her out because they saw some form of danger or I don't know, potential sociopathy in her or something. Um, but like, you know, the, 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 all of the free traders were non neurotypical. And I think that that like, in some ways it, it, it just kind of points to the, uh, I'm just going to say the inherent patriarchal prejudice of, like big magical institutions, which are, you know, in some ways representing the kind of big institutions uh, in our lives and in the real world that do this, uh, is that that it's, it's easier to kind of, it's, 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 it's always easier to say no. Hmm. Um, And so like, 
I, I had this notion this season that, you know, uh, there were some base level magicians who might've had this fundamental ability that would not have kind of risen, a, risen, uh, uh, to the level of being noticed by, uh, Brankbills or Hedges who, who with the, you know, adding of a ton of magic in the world would suddenly, you know, it's like these people suddenly find their magic working in a way that, you know, that, that it wouldn't have before because there was so much, you know, the, the world is, these surges means that the, the world is kind of saturated with magic in a way that it wasn't before. Um, you know, it just, it just means that, uh, there's a lot more, uh, uh, untrained people who really don't know what the hell they're doing. Mm, um, yeah. you know, it seemed like, Fog was saying that like they accepted more people because they just didn't want people to like kind of accidentally kill themselves because of right. magic. It's partly that and partly that 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 just the the with these sheer increased numbers of applicants, there are more people who are able to pass the break bills entrance exam than they expected. Uh, you know, they try to they 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 would try to weed them out, but they uh that's not uh Sometimes like, your own meritocratic bullshit bites you in the butt. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. So that's why he's he's railing about it. And saying, I thought it was you know, so funny when he called it a state school. <laughs> well, saying, like, oh, yeah. Might as well be a state school. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good line. He's a, he's a yeah. Well, he's a he's an elitist. <laughs> well, it's funny because like in the I, books, I he's just remember that he's an elitist. <laughs> yeah. Well, in in the books, he's described as pompous, and uh, we don't get a ton of opportunities to really see him lean into that in the show. But this was one of them, and it, it was very gratifying for me. I mean, in the fog on our show is probably a little bit nicer uh, than the fog in the books, uh, but he's and he's also a much bigger fuck up. I think in the fog. In the books. <laughs> he's- he seems like he cares more, but I mean, Fog yeah. is just not as big in the books as yeah. he's in the yeah. show. So. Yeah. It's, this is true. Uh, and the other thing we want, I, I really wanted to do with Fog this season that was different was the, to deal with the drinking because I just felt like yes. we'd, we'd made so many, really we'd like made it. so much. It just felt like we'd made so much. Uh, I mean, it's, Rick does drunk really well and it's really fun to write him drunk and it's really fun to write those in it. But at a certain point, you're kind of like, there is a point where drinking just isn't funny, you know? Uh, and, and I, I, I felt like we were, I felt like we were doing a disservice if we didn't kind of get into that as well, because I, I, I feel like there's, you know, there's a reason fog drinks. Um, and in some ways that was how we explored his reaction to Quentin. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it, uh, you know, he, and he doesn't make a big deal out of it, but yeah. it's a thing that he is dealing with that he just yeah. suddenly drinking didn't, work anymore it didn't you know the for him he's you get the idea that he's this hyper smart guy who deals with a lot he has a lot of painful memories and he deals with it by dulling his senses so that he doesn't have to feel it and there's a point where that will work and there's a point where that stops working yeah. mm-hmm. um and, you know for him you know the, that the thing that we wanted to explore was that it just stopped working yeah. um and and he has to face reality and look that's the that's that's the reality of um, yeah. dealing with substance abuse. Yeah. I want to make sure we have time to talk about the Fillory storyline and particularly the, the different ways that Elliot and Margot are dealing with their grief over Quentin and over Josh. Because we've alluded to this a little bit, but Margot gets pretty mad with Elliot for how blasé he's being about everything. Yeah. 
I know it's kind of like, it feels like a weird thing to be like, where does Margot's anger come from? Because <laughs> she's angry all the time. But yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to ask you to speak to that scene. Well, okay. So the, the one of the fun things about getting into this season again was getting to write Elliot and Margot together, which was a thing that, you know, we haven't got to do for a whole season, um, you know, uh, and, and it was kind of a delight, uh, you know, to, to get them uh, drinking and quipping and, you know, saying things like to our pretty corpses, uh, which is a <laughs> callback to uh, episode 203 where they said that right as a, they were sitting in Ember's temple yeah. and uh, thinking that they were all going to die. <laughs> so they were uh, saying to our pretty corpses and then, uh, uh, you know, so like that was fun. Uh, uh, and, uh, but like, here's what I'll say. So when you are writing the premiere episode, you uh, are not solving problems. In some ways, you're setting up problems. Um, and a lot of what we're dealing with with the two of them is like, what is their friendship like now? And in some ways, they're it's like they were never apart. You know what I mean? Right. They're, they're exactly the same, picking up exactly as they were. But in other ways, you know, Margot found herself uh, last season, she had this you know, it was like Elliot happened to be gone. She had this weird vulnerability. It, this strange thing happened where she let this other guy in, uh, turned out to be a good guy, this guy, Josh. And, uh, and like it touched her, I think in a way that she did not expect. Um, and you know, maybe it wouldn't have happened if Elliot was around. Um, and I think that the feelings that she has about it are kind of deep and real and intense. Um, and, and it's frustrating when you have a friend who you think understands you mm. on some deep, deep level and like always gets you, always reads your mind, knows exactly what you're thinking, exactly, and somehow suddenly doesn't get it. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and it's not that he doesn't get it, it's that he's dealing with his own thing. Uh, I mean, you know, Elliot was possessed by this monster for the bulk of last season and experienced a lot of terrible things. Um, things which he says he doesn't remember. So, you know, but like, you know, you get the idea that he's yeah. carrying a big weight. And, and it's also like, quite frankly, this is the way that, you know, he's dealing with Quentin. He's dealing with Quentin by not dealing with Quentin. Uh, he's dealing with Quentin because I think on some level, you know, what he says to Margot is that he, he uh, um, I think he feels a, this debt that he can't pay, that like everyone sacrificed everything to get him back. Quentin gave his life so that he could come back. Um, and, you know, he didn't even get to say goodbye to him. And that is like, and that's, you know, they have this, obviously this intense history and that's, it's terrible. And the thing that he's, it's like, he has to live with it. This is one way that people do live with it. And, you know, all I would say is that this is a thing that we are going to continue to explore with him. Um, but like really what this was is about those, those two friends who know each other so deeply, uh, but there's a thing that they are not sharing. And I think she's angry that he's not sharing it and he's upset that she's not getting how he's dealing with it. Um, you know, that, that even as close as they are, there's a, this fundamental disconnect that they are having to face. Uh, which they will deal with, um, you know, in subsequent episodes in a big way. Well, um, yeah, so I think, Danny, that leads well into your next question. So are we going to get to see Elliot actually deal with his grief this season? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
in a big way. Um, and, and, and in, in multiple, in different ways, in multiple episodes, including is my favorite episode of the season. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but yes, you will. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and you'll also like, you know, and, and, and in a big way, Margot and Elliot are back and there's also some, there's a lot of fun Margot and Elliot stuff this season Good. <laughs> that I'm delighted by it. I'm delighted. And I'm delighted to share with you guys. <laughs> Good. Well, I think on that note, we'll move into fashion. And I was actually really excited about this episode because fashion is so <laughs> character and plot forward in it um, in a bunch of different <laughs> ways. So, like, from from the perspective, from that perspective, the first thing that I, the first of two really big moments that stood out for me is that opening scene with Julia trying to find an outfit for her date with Penny. Because you can see just how hard it is for her to face doing something normal, <laughs> so normal, um, when she has all of this, these feelings about the death of her best friend floating around in her brain. And I think the options that she rejects tell you something too. So like the first thing she picks up is this yellow dress. And I looked at that and I was like, oh yeah, that's way too happy. And she tosses it on the bed. Like it's trying too hard. But some of the other dresses are, are too simple or too ordinary or they're things that we've seen her wear before. And the thing that she ultimately settles on is something completely new, as far as I could tell. Like, it's, it's, not, it's both not something she's worn before, and it's also a little bit different style than we've normally seen from Julia. Um, and for me, I got the impression that that's, that's very important. So I, I wanted to ask you, Henry, because I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about, like, the relationships between the writers and the costume department, but what does the script actually say in that scene about sort of her mindset and what she's doing? Um, I mean, the, the, <sighs> I have to go back and look, cause I, this is a, this is like, uh, oh, like probably 10 months ago when I wrote it. Um, <laughs> as I recall, I was looking for a, a kind of unexpected way to open the show that was very different from what we would typically do. Um, so that, that you'd see Julia, uh, you know, because we're, we're going to see people in different states of, grief dealing with things differently. Uh, and we're going to see that, that Julia is in some ways in a little bit of a, uh, I hesitate to use this word, but we're drawing on kind of romantic comedy tropes with her mm. that she's trying on all these different outfits. Um, the idea being that, uh, you know, ultimately she chooses one that is kind of, uh, dressy, uh, but utterly inappropriate for being on top of a mountain, which is <laughs> where we shot the next session. Um, you know, and that, and that, like the the we were trying to kind of show a playful misunderstanding with her and Penny that you know comes out of what their relationship is right now. The challenging thing we were trying to do was not just do like a makeover montage type thing. We wanted to do something that had a little bit of a, a depth and soul and sadness, and it carried a little bit of it. it. Was like, you know, one of the big questions that you're asking every character that you see is like, how are they? How are they dealing with? their life right now without quitting it. And so that was kind of the spirit of the montage. I mean, you know, it was Chris Fisher who shot it, uh, who's our, our producer director. And I thought he did a beautiful job. And, and Stella, of course, I thought had brought like a kind of a, a soulful reality to it. But the, the, I don't remember describing any specific outfit in that. I think I, what I like, what I wrote was, you know, because th- this is the kind of thing where, like, I I know Magali and trust Magali, and I know that she'll find the things that are right. And the the goal was to that um, she's trying on a bunch of faces, um, you know, and and that's a 
another way that people deal with grief uh, is trying on different faces uh, and none of them seem right. And then she finally picks one that she thinks is right. And then she discovers that it's absolutely wrong for the occasion just because it's, yeah, uh, it's yeah. she's freezing her butt off. Um, that section, uh, it's hard to say. We actually shot it on top of this uh, ski mountain, um, uh, uh, like about a half hour outside of Vancouver, uh, where you had to carry, you had to go on a gondola and then a separate ski lift just to get up there. <laughs> Uh, and one of the things you don't see is there's a giant, like, electric windmill right next to it. Oh, my gosh. Um, but we just didn't shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so the other sort of story-driven fashion note for me is, of course, when we see Alice, because she's depressed and it shows, right? She's wearing these, right. like, oversized shirts and dresses. And I think she ends up in a bathrobe at one point. Um, all very neutral colors, not changing for days from the looks of it. And, I mean, it's such a mood, like. Danny, you were saying earlier that that's that like that's basically how you would be if you were in her situation. I thought that was a great way. I think, especially looking at those two scenes together and those two people together, right? Like, it's a great way that what they're what they're wearing and how they look is expressing something about how they're going through this horrific thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a ten- there's a tendency in TV to kind of glam up people, and I, I just really desperately wanted her to look like a, <laughs> you know, a, a person who's having a hard time, you know, like wearing sweats, and she's wearing what's comfortable. She doesn't want to. She's not dressing for you to like how she looks. She's dressing because she doesn't want to. You know, she wants to be comfortable. Yeah. I think she has like a stain on her shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for um, I was ha- very happy about that. <laughs> Well, so the last the last fashion thing that I wanted to bring up is the cosplayers and Fillory. Um, <laughs> so I I loved that Fen cosplayer, and I I have to say I looked at her and she reminds me so much of Kath Gilbert, who runs the Fillorians United podcast, and who is herself oh, yeah, right. a Fen cosplayer. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional, but I looked at that and I was like, oh wow, that's such a great self insert. <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, the the I. The idea was just that that uh, you know our our characters can't be anyone but our characters. But wouldn't it be funny if someone came out to them and said, "Oh, you guys look just like <laughs> you guys are uh, hiking Elliot and hiking Margot," and they're like, "What?" <laughs> you know, I, we were sort of looking for a crazy, funny, insane way to tell the story of how, uh, you know, what happened 300 years ago, um, uh, you know, and what, what, ha- what happened to, to uh, uh, Josh and Finn, and it, you know, it was partly inspired by, uh, like one of the, there's a fantasy trope of, um, you know, the, the, uh, running into like the, some players who are doing a play, uh, and they tell you the story of what's going on there. They did this in Game of Thrones and this and a few other things. And, you know, we were wanting to do, a version of that yeah, yeah. um essentially um and that you know the, uh, it was, uh, i i, I want to say that i that i don't even think we i think that was something i came up with in the script i don't feel like we even talked about it in the room but i just thought it would be uh i thought it would be funny of uh of the, if they were maybe it was in the room I, like i literally can't remember it i i forgive me for not having perfect recall on this uh but you know we we I just knew that they were that, that this day was the great unshackling, and uh, it, they weren't able to get into the castle because of all the terrible, secu- all the bad security that that was uh, that was around. It. All the I'm sorry, good security, um, difficult security, 
uh, and uh, um, and that suddenly there was one day where they were wearing the exact right outfit to get into the castle. <laughs> well, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, Danny, are there any fashion notes you want to bring up before we move to MVPs? I mean, Margot always looks great. Yes, she does. I do love that dress. <laughs> she does. She it's a really does. nice dress. I mean, I miss seeing her in the Florian outfits, uh, but that was a, you know, and I, and I, and I always miss the eye patches, but, uh, but I, it's fun to see her in early fashion. Well, and that dress reminds me of the dress that she wore in early in season one, when they do the trials. Um, and she has that like fur over it, that little fur thing. Over it. <laughs> I don't know if it's yeah. the same dress. I'd have to go back and look, but it, it's, it's, I think similar. it's a new dress. Cause it's, it has a, it, it, a, if I remember correctly, it has this, uh, it's like a photo print on it, a print of like these flowers. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And it's very, it's very distinctive when you see it, but like it look, it's really, a, that's a fantastic piece made by uh, Mogali. Uh, you know, and, and, the, and also the crazy purple uh, jacket that she's wearing over it. <laughs> on that note, I think it's, it's time for us to move to our first MVP of the season. And while I think everyone in this episode does a really, really incredible job, like it, it was just so well acted. Um, and uh, I definitely want to like harken back a tiny bit to that shout out of Trevor for that one scene um, in the jail. <laughs> I cannot fathom giving my MVP in this episode to anyone other than Olivia. Because there's just so many different pieces to her performance. It changes in all these lovely, subtle ways, depending on who her scene partner is at the time. But it's all very coherent. And I just, I like literally, I, well, I don't know if mesmerized is a word that can be taken literally. But like <laughs> uh, every time I was watching a scene with her in it, whatever else I was doing, like writing notes, messing with my phone, I don't know, texting Danny, whatever, I just stopped doing it because you can't take your eyes off her. So, yes, my MVP goes to Olivia. Danny, what about you? I, I chose Olivia as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I was just, like, thinking, I was just, mm, she's probably going to get it a lot this season. <laughs> I think that in some ways she is, in this episode, the the, you know, she's all of us. She's like all, a lot of what oh, everyone yeah. feels about, you know, about, uh, about, uh, Quentin, uh, you know, she's, she's the, just let it all hang out. Uh, and she's really good in the episode. Um, yeah. uh, I can't wait till you see episode two, <laughs> which I will say nothing else about. <laughs> um, so we're, we're now then, Oh uh, no, sorry, Henry. Uh, do you want to give an MVP? I just assumed because when you started talking that you were giving uh, yours. Uh, I, I, you know, I can't choose one in particular. I feel like everyone is great uh, in this one. I mean, I think Olivia does a fantastic job, and I totally agree. Um, you know, I think that uh, in some ways Hale has a thankless – what he was doing was not uh, emoting. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, like, I – all I can say is sometimes you get to write great material for people and sometimes the great material will come later. Um, and so, you know, the premiere is a, is a tough one. Not everyone gets the big scene. Um, but you try to kind of come in and give a touchstone uh, that explains where they're going to go. So for those people who didn't have a big, amazing moment, I assure you that they will have one later this season. Um, you know, they're all, they're all coming. So, uh, you know, I usually would pick as an MVP is I, as I'm going to pick 
uh, my director, uh, Chris Fisher, who's our director producer, who shot this episode and episode two uh, at the same time, uh, and somehow kept it all straight. And you know, uh, um, kind of is is kind of the heart and soul of the show, and really is one of the reasons that the the that we're able to do what we do in Canada. Mm. Um, he's really he's really great. Uh, so I would I, I always like to pick the director, and I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Chris. <laughs> Good choice. So we're. We're now entering the episode rating portion of our show. And I have to say, like, I feel really weird about it. And part of that, I feel really weird about ratings. Part of that is because we've, like, completely fucked up our system pretty much every season. Um, And part of it is just that uh, Danny and I were talking about it a little bit last season. And I think, like, we have sort of hit a point... Uh, where it almost feel it feels like ratings are inappropriate. Like they they give this sort of shorthand <laughs> of what we feel about the show, but it, it doesn't really tell you a ton. Um, and so I thought, I thought, um, and Danny, you're welcome to give a rating. Ten. So ten out of ten. That's what it is. Ten out of ten. <laughs> well, well, Danny, I mean, if you want, if you want to go ahead and give a rating, you're welcome to. And I accept your ten out of ten, Henry, for your own episode. Very good. Um, I'm but, gonna give all ten out of ten. Every but, single one. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's been our philosophy in the past. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I I think it might be nice if we instead use this time to just kind of do a recap of our thoughts. Um, and for me, I would want to share what I appreciated, the things that I maybe had a hard time with, and give us a chance to talk about that a little openly. How do you feel about that, Henry? I feel fine. I think I think ratings are silly. Um, I also think that there's you know you, you uh, 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 a premiere has a different um, it has a different job than an episode two, an episode yeah. three, or episode five. Like they're all different, and part of the job in a premiere is not necessarily to tell one single coherent like arc story but like to to kind of touch on everything and set up kind of what you're doing in the season so you don't always get to do the same thing you would do like in an individual episode um you know and so i think you know they're all they're all treated differently i worked on every single episode this season with the writers so like it's not for me and john sarah like it's all our show okay <laughs> so, well, uh, so let's dive in then um for me, this was a really powerful episode, and it made me way more emotional than I was really expecting it to. Um, Danny and I talked about this when we talked about the trailer as spooky, but I don't think I've actually watched the season four finale since it aired. So even like the recap at the beginning kind of hit me in the gut. And then we go from that to this opening scene of Julia bracing herself in front of the closet. And uh, I just I felt what she was going through so hard. I love the way that Alice and her mother interact and the way that Alice and Julia interact. I love seeing Penny in that teaching role. I love when Margot chewed Elliot out. <laughs> um, and I, I think I talked about this on Twitter at some point, uh, like relatively close to after the finale, but like that was kind of how my dad reacted when his father died and I was 16 and like felt like my job was to try to hold it together for everyone. So it resonated with me a lot on a personal level. It just felt like such a true representation of grief. So far, and again, first episode, I, like, I'm not quite as excited about Katie's storyline yet. I'm interested in the hedges, but I just don't feel like I know where it's going. Um, the one thing that I found really hard, and I want to say specifically, like, I don't think it was bad at all. It's just like it was a personal visceral reaction, um, is 
that ending because Alice is trying to create a golem of Quentin. And I spent a lot of time like thinking about it and trying to process my reaction. And on final analysis, I, I think it's a really real and honest portrayal. Like Alice is so brilliant and she loves Quentin so much. Of course, she would try to find a way to bring him back in whatever form. But it also did kind of like sting a little, the like, did she or didn't she cliffhanger? It just hit me. It surprised me. It hit me harder than I thought it would. Um, like, I don't know, picking to the edges of a scab. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, all, all feelings make sense. Uh, 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 you know, she's, she's, <laughs> she's, 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 well, or they don't, I mean, but they're, but they're real. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, she's doing something crazy. Uh, you know, one of the things about the magicians is that all of our characters at some point make terrible decisions. <laughs> um, and, uh, I think people in a state of grief, uh, sometimes do that as well. I will just say that like that, that I, 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 I that's a storyline where I'm, I, I, I hope you will enjoy, or I don't know if enjoy is the right word. I think that where it goes is very cathartic uh, mm-hmm. and I really like it. Um, um, and I really can't say anything else except to say, I think you're supposed to look at her and think, oh God, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's a terrible idea. That's how I felt. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you're supposed to feel, I think. That, you know, that that's the idea. Um, you know, she's really making a um, but also I think it's a decision that she believes in emotionally. Um, I don't know when people, people deal with grief by doing terrible things. Sometimes they do mm-hmm. drugs, they make bad life choices. They, uh, you know, get in car accidents. They, you know, screw up their relationships. They have yeah. affairs you know, a lot of it's because it's this, they, they blow up their lives. Um, and part of what we're trying to explore is how do people deal with grief? Uh, but we're doing it through, you know, the metaphor of magic. Um, and so that's a, that's, you know, Alice is making a bad choice. Uh, I don't think it's a smart choice, uh, but I do think that it probably is felt like the only choice for her. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and we'll get into it more during episode two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny, then your turn. You want to give us your your big thoughts, your summary analysis of the episode? I didn't notice that she was making a golem at first. Like, I think it oh. took me a while. I thought she was trying to do the seance by herself like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of candles involved. Yeah. <laughs> she actually... It's hard to see, especially if you're watching on like a computer. But they they pan past the box of this yeah. living clay. I noticed um, that when I was watching it on my actual TV, because I was watching. I watched it first on my laptop. But yeah, I didn't notice that at first until like Claire was like super mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked it. I liked this, like just seeing all of the different reactions or non-reactions. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the same as you. I don't think I'm necessarily that excited about Katie's storyline yet. Um, I'm sure it's going to be great. I mean, in fairness, the the hedges get kind of a I don't want to say 
they get a little bit of short shrift in the premiere. We just kind of, we just kind of tag them. Uh, we get more into Katie's story in episode two. Um, and, and Katie becomes a little more, uh, her stuff becomes a little bigger as the season moves on. So, uh, no fault of her own because uh, we're, we're, we're just trying to keep those, uh, we're trying to keep a lot of threads alive. It makes sense. Like there's a lot going on. There's the yeah. whole fillery future storyline. Um, the different grief happening through the other characters. Right. I don't know. I like it. I, I like We haven't, that's why we haven't talked about the takers. <laughs> the takers. Um, I don't think we've seen one yet, right? Well, we only, we've only we've seen them on the play. We saw them in the play. play. Yeah. 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 That's that's an interesting one. Um, there's a lot going on. And I like it. I like that there's just so many different threads that have been set up. Um, so we kind of know where we're going in the season. I like to see the whole fog trying to get sober thing. Like, I think yeah. that's great. And he, I feel like he's more sassy. I mean, he's always sassy, but I feel like he's a little bit more sassy. I think he's less willing to put up with stuff. He's like, you know, that, that's kind of, he's he's a little bit like, you know, I'm not doing this for your feelings. I also <laughs> love when he was like, when he said to Penny, he's like, I've never met a Penny that would read the fine print. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a good line, for sure. A lot of good lines. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the episode. I like I said, if I was going to give it a rating, it, it would be a ten out of ten. Oh, that's you. T- <laughs> well, I will tell you that there are a few episodes coming up that I think much, much, much better. Uh, so I would save that for that. <laughs> you know, I think we should stop trying to do comparative ratings and just rate them on how we feel about them in the moment. Because it's just you can't right. compare things that you yeah. haven't seen yet. You can't. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. if Danny wants to give yeah. it a ten out of ten, I ratify. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I I'm excited for you to see the rest of the season because I feel like there's that, that, that you will uh, if you like that yeah. you're gonna love what come what's coming. On that note, Henry, thank you so much for joining us today, which for our listeners, I should say, it's three days before Christmas slash the first day of Hanukkah, so we really owe you one for this. Thank you so much for making the time. You are welcome. (laughs) Happy to do it. And um, listeners, thanks for joining us for season five. It's been quite a journey so far. We're really looking forward to this next season. And if you like our show, head over to iTunes, leave us your rating and review. Blah, blah, blah. The more we get, the easier it is for listeners to find us. But, you know. Blah, blah, blah. It's also real. And um, that's a wrap on episode 501. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Mind slide. All right, I'm going to shove a bunch of cheese into my mouth while we wait.